Welcome to WCW Monday Nitro live right here on TNT. This is without a doubt where the big boys play. I'm Eric Bischoff, joined by Bobby the Brain Heenan, Steve Mongo, McMichael, and hey Mongo, what's up with that, man? Let me tell you, baby. We got a lot of clowns in this league, and I'm talking about one Jimmy Hart, if you know what I mean. This is just in honor of him. Well, I'll tell you what, this is the night. You fans get to call the shots. You get to tell us who you want to see in the main event. And here's how you do it. As WCW Interaction Calling Cards present You Call the Shots. Call 1-900-370-3-WCW. Call, call 99- Remember, everyone, that phone number is no longer active because you aren't watching Nitro. You are listening to 20 Years of Nitro. Welcome to where the big boys play. This is, of course, our week-to-week breakdown of WCW's flagship show where each episode is reviewed on the 20th anniversary of its airing. You can find us at facebook.com slash 20 years of nitro on Twitter at 20 years of nitro. And you can email the show 20 years of nitro at gmail.com. I am your host as always, Tim Root, and we are back this week with a two man broadcast team alongside me, Dave Amantorp. Dave, how are you doing this week? I'm doing good. Uh, I'm really looking forward to some resolution with the world heavyweight title, um, especially since last week it didn't seem like anyone had an idea who the champion was. Yeah, it sounds like we're going to have that sorted out, and we are also getting our first ever uh, Nitro Interactive main event, as fans are encouraged at the top of the show, as you just heard by Eric Bischoff, uh, to call into a 900 number where you will be able to vote for who fights in the main event. Uh, there's two locker rooms, one full of heels, one full of baby faces, and you can vote for one of each, and they will meet in the main event tonight, and we will have a lot to say about that as the show goes on. It is November 6, 1995, and we are coming to you from Jacksonville, Florida. There's a sellout tonight of 9,500 fans, 3,500 of which paid, so that is a whopping 6,000 in there for free uh, for a total of a $30,000 house. So again, what, a lot of paper. Yeah, was uh, thirty five hundred? Is that a pretty good draw for them for paid? That yeah, that seems maybe a little higher than average. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to start with on the show, we see the announcers, and, and as you kind of heard alluded to in that clip, Pepe this week is dressed as a clown in honor of that clown Jimmy Hart. <laughs> Mongo really works to shoehorn the outfit into a joke or a reference into what's going on uh-huh. and on the one hand i guess you could you could look at it as a shoehorning because it is but i do appreciate that he's making an effort effort to justify these costumes every right. week uh, i mean it's better than just letting it sit there <laughs> in our interactive choices the red locker room full of heels has rick flair meng ddp the blue buds big bubba the shark and scott norton Mean Gene is also in there, and we'll hear a report from him later. In the blue locker room is Sting, Johnny B. Bad, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Dave Sullivan, Alex Wright, The Nasty Boys, and Mr. JL. And we're promised that we are going to check in later with Tony Schiavone. As soon as they've introduced all the uh, wrestlers in each locker room, Bischoff lets us know that after Halloween Havoc, everyone is going to want to see Sting and Flair in that main event. (laughs) Yes. From the very beginning of the show, they make it uh, very apparent as far as who they want to win the voting. Although, who doesn't want to see Scott Norton versus Das Wunderkind Alex Wright? (laughs) 
You know, I would like to see that match. Me too. I mean, there are a lot of interesting matches in here that you could come up with that I know your your casual fan isn't going to vote for. Right. But yeah, Scott Norton, Alex Wright would be a good match. I'd love to see uh, Diamond Dallas Page and Mr. JL. Uh, you know, there's there's just a few different odd matchups that you're probably not going to see unless you're watching Saturday night, which is showcasing more mid card talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but it is it is painfully obvious. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you could see it just by looking at who the options are, and then for Bischoff to literally tell you that everyone wants to see <laughs> Sting versus Flair. It's like, well, you wouldn't want to deny everyone of what they want to see, would you? Right. Uh, and I also like every time they come back to the, uh, is it the red? Does the red have the faces? The red is the heels. Red's a heel. Okay, so in the blue locker room, the Nasty Boys are really trying to hype up the idea of them facing the Blue Bloods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're putting the effort in, but uh, every now and then Stig just interrupts them or Oakland just ignores them. <laughs> we get a replay of Lex Luger turning on Macho Man at Halloween Havoc. Uh, Bischoff tells us that Macho is in the building tonight, but he has not been cleared by the doctors. And he is apparently in the back uh, just destroying furniture, throwing it around, going nuts. Bobby Heenan then tells us that Savage actually lost his marbles long before he came to WCW. And then uh, he lets us know who he would like to see in the main event in our first audio clip of the show. Now, if you humanoids are smart, pick the phone up and call. And the match I want to see is Shivani against Okerlund. That's a pretty good line. And I, Dave, would you have liked to have seen uh, Mean Gene Okerlund versus Tony Shivani tonight? Absolutely. I mean, I would want to see anyone versus Tony Shivani. Now, Mean Gene, he <laughs> had a match or two in his day, didn't he? Yeah, uh, I know... Definitely during Hulkamania and WWF that he teamed with Hogan, at least for maybe like a Madison Square Garden show or something like that. Right. Yeah, I seem to remember him having at least one or two matches at some point. But but to me, the idea of Tony Giovanni like getting into like a physical fight with someone would be just entertaining. <laughs> if anything could bring out some like actual emotion from him right? instead of that hollow, like he'll always start a show with some hollow enthusiasm, but he just generally seems so blank. Right. And, and especially just recently at Halloween Havoc, when the giant <laughs> was murdered, what fell to plummeted to his death. <laughs> He he kept telling Bobby Heenan to stay professional and to stay on the focus on the action of the ring. And he didn't say that with like any irony. He he was just like, this is what we do. We have to go on to the next thing. Yeah, maybe it's easy for me to dismiss him as uh, just a poor actor who can't summon emotions. Maybe he is doing a great job playing the character of a really dispassionate journalist. Yeah. Whose job is just broadcasting wrestling. Yeah. Maybe I should view him more optimistically. <laughs> We then get a wide shot of the ring, and Dave Penzer is in the ring announcing someone. But uh, And I, I must assume this is a WWE Network thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, he, both Penzer and the crowd, you can barely hear anything because Cobra is coming to the ring, and he must have some theme music that they're not allowed to use on the network. So what they've decided to do mm-hmm. instead is just have loud Morse code. To the point where you 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 just think your network is malfunctioning because the audio goes out and it just starts beeping at you. Yeah. Did you? I mean, what was your reaction? Did you like? I literally was just about to like turn it off. I thought it was fucked up. Yeah, and the thing that was weird was that right before it went to the Morse code, it, it was playing the Dungeon of Doom's music. Yeah. I yeah. I think what may have happened was they started playing the Giants' music mm-hmm. in air. 
Then they played Cobra's music, which is copyright protected or whatever. I, I don't know. It's, it's very weird, and uh, I thought about including it as an audio clip, but honestly, I don't want to subject you, the audience, to that awful, you loud would, beeping. You would probably just like quit on this episode. Yeah, we would, we would have no fans after this <laughs> instead of the tens of fans we have now. <laughs> uh, in another little bit of motivation for getting us to vote properly... Bobby tells us that he saw Pillman and Arn Anderson backstage ripping phones off the walls to prevent people from calling and voting in. <laughs> Which I think it's kind of funny, the idea that, uh, that the 900 number rings directly to the arena and you just tell someone who you want to see in the event. Right. Rather than like down in Atlanta or whatever. Right. Or maybe the idea is that Pillman and Anderson are just so dumb that they think that's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> Out comes the Giant, so uh, rather than get made with a clean win over Hogan and winning the belt properly in his first ever WCW match, he got a weird victory over Hogan. Uh, he didn't fight the next night on Nitro, and now he's jerking the curtain against Cobra. Yeah. So And, and also, from the very end of this uh, being Hogan, everyone is insisting that he's not champion. Right. It's, it's not that it, there's like a controversy. In which they don't know if he's champion, but everyone's like, "No, that man is not the world champion." And giant. I'll, oh, and Go also because uh, last week the giant promised he was going to defend the title. Right. So now that we now we see he's going to be defending it against someone that is not remotely qualified for a title shot. Cobra is such a non-entity that I just realized now that I didn't bother taking any notes. On who he is or his background. <laughs> I know his name is like Jeff Farmer, I want to say. Sounds about right. Um, and we'll see him later on in Nitro mm -hmm. uh, playing a different character. But but that's certainly to come further down the road. Uh, but anyway, this match doesn't last long enough to really worry about who Cobra is yeah. or where he came from. He he also, he was brought in as a feud for uh, Pitbull Pittman. Right, yeah. He was supposedly a fellow soldier in the same platoon who Pittman right. had left behind. And I think they originally said left behind in Vietnam and then realized that their ages made, made that completely nonsensical. And then they changed it to like Desert Storm. And then I think later they changed it to just the jungle. <laughs> uh, so anyway, the giant gets in the ring and he picks up Dave Penzer. It's pretty impressive. He, he yells at him and picks him up mm -hmm. and he won't put him down until Penzer gets back on the microphone and announces that this is now a world title match. Right. Which Bischoff is incensed about because he's he's still claiming, as Dave alluded to, that the Giant is not actually the world champion. Mm -hmm. This match is a choke slam. That's yep. the entire match. Giant grabs Cobra by the neck, stands there for a good five seconds while Cobra doesn't attempt to fight back despite being completely fresh at that point. <laughs> then he choke slams him for the one, two, three. So I guess, uh, you know, it's a little bit of both. I can complain that they're making the Giant look like a chump by pointing out that he's not the champion and putting him in the opening match against a nobody. Uh -huh. But at least he could not have looked more powerful. Yeah. There's certainly no way they could have made him look like a bigger threat than the fact that he came out. Uh, Cobra, for all the deficiencies in the character, he's got a great look. He's he's mm -hmm. built. He certainly looks impressive. Um, so the giant squashing him is... Uh, that that at least is in the, the plus column. Yeah, and, and also this is another instance in which Bobby Heenan really uh, sells the the importance of that victory because of how quick it was. He's he's he starts shouting about this might be the quickest title match that he's ever right, seen, yep. and wants to look up the record. So he put, he's putting in his 
effort to make it more impressive than than maybe a one move matches as usual bobby is the absolute best at selling the storylines that they're trying to accomplish Uh we then go to me and gene who is in the red uh heel locker room he plugs the voting for a bit while all of the heels just sort of shout over him and uh over each other Except for the Blue Bloods, right? who are sitting in the back, and Gene acts like this is cra- He acts like they're crazy because they're <laughs> reading a book and sipping tea. Right. That's the most normal thing that anyone in the room is doing. <laughs> Everyone else is trying to scream simultaneously at the camera, yeah. and he acts like these guys are nuts because they're enjoying a drink and reading a pleasant book. And just sort of looking like they're enjoying each other's company. Right, because they're not pandering for the attention of the camera. He thinks that they must be crazy. We then go to a matching segment over in the babyface locker room with Tony Schiavone, who is telling us how to vote while the faces scream over him, except for Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who just sort of wanders behind the camera. And it (laughs) appears that he kicks some cables loose because the audio goes out for a second and then static fills the screen for another couple seconds. So Hacksaw just decided to get up and fuck around and he ends up almost knocking the broadcast out. As he... As you can see, uh, also later on, you just realize that these backstage segments, they don't do a lot of them. And they obviously are not very well prepared for that. After a commercial, we are sent uh, to an interview with Hulk Hogan. Oh, oh, before that, though, um, because on the WWE Network, they have the World War III um, promo as as Mm -hmm. a commercial. Yep. Now, I, I, I don't know if I'm missing something here. But the World War Three Battle Royal, they keep saying there's three rings and three giants. Right. Yeah, that's true. And I've sort of found conflicting information on this. But what I've best been able to determine is that at first they wanted to bring in, um, oh, I don't remember his full name now, but Giant Gonzalez from WWE. Oh, okay. Uh, who had also spent time as El Gigante in WCW. Yep. They wanted to bring him in as the original guy who was going to portray the Yeti. Uh, sure. But he had some visa problems, so they ended up giving it to Ron Rice, who is the guy who ended up portraying the Yeti in all of his like three appearances. Yeah. I think what they wanted to do is have the uh, giant in one ring, the Yeti played by Giant Gonzalez in the second ring, and Ron Rice portraying some kind of third character mm-hmm. in the other ring. So okay. that would be three giants. So the other way to read it possibly yeah. is that Hogan is maybe considered a giant because he is such a big dude. So that could be another way of reading that. Uh, then you've got the giant, the Yeti, and Hogan as the three giants. Okay. So it makes it sound like that this promo was made even before they figured out what's going on in Halloween Havoc. Yeah, because I think doesn't the promo also uh, claim that this is still for a chance at the WCW heavyweight title rather than for the title itself? I, I, I believe that the promos do at least for okay. another uh, week or two. So, yeah, they are definitely using outdated promotional material. After that, Bischoff tells us that we are going to go to an interview with Hulk Hogan. I'm going to play that clip for you, but I think it's important uh, because you're going to be really confused otherwise to provide some context for what the viewer sees at this point. <laughs> Rather than Hulk Hogan, we first see what appears to be some sort of street artist hobo. Uh, he's a guy... Wearing uh, a white turban mm-hmm. and rollerblades with black like shin pads, like catcher shin pads. And he is playing guitar and he sings a little ditty about uh, how tough Hogan is or something. And he's just screaming and he's got this patchy beard. 
it's it's real strange. Yeah. Um. So one of the announcers says that he is like he is similar to Jimi Hendrix. Right. Yes. But for the record, since you're not looking at this, he doesn't look anything like Jimi he's, Hendrix. He's white for one thing. Yeah. It is an odd um, foreshadowing, Jimi Hendrix and Hulk Hogan, though. Uh, Given that he later will come out to a voodoo child ripoff. Oh, there you go. Okay, I <laughs> I completely blanked. I'm like, what what connection is this? The camera will then pan over to Hulk Hogan and Macho Man. Hogan's wearing his all black that he's been wearing for a while. Macho is now wearing uh, a black and white themed attire as well. And they're sitting with what appears to be an old fat hobo of some kind. Uh, you'll hear Hogan mention him twice, once as the leader of the war games and once as the leader of the war crimes. <laughs> I don't know if those are gangs. I, I really don't know. And you'll be able to hear throughout this clip the hobo or whoever he is just occasionally shouting some real words and some gibberish while Hogan and Macho Man talk. This, this is really something else. Gird your loins, folks, because here comes one hell of a promo. All right, standing by right now. It is home of Venice Beach, California. The man has gone back to his roots. Let's check in right now with none other than Hulk Hogan. something brothers now we're back in venice beach now we've replaced jimmy hart with the head of the war games from venice beach our main man brother we're afraid they might not show up we're afraid we may destroy them all and now that the macho man brother what? has came into the dark side yeah. dude now that he realizes yeah, that the man. training the prayers the vitamins and the demandments are the most important thing brother stick with me all the way macho man in our hit list brother a Sullivan, jimmy hart luger that stinky nasty warden pest and giant and everybody will fall by the wayside dude stick with me in the dark side brother forever and ever yeah walking the streets just like the brother told us just a little while ago from the dark side but folks how much more do you need to sacrifice? Sullivan took your mustache. Jimmy Hart ripped you between the scenes with the red and yellow. The giant took the world belt. And Lex Luger put you in the rack. Don't you understand? I told you, that's you right. told us that. that now, what needs to be done is this. Divide and conquer. You're too emotionally involved with the situation. You take the low road. I'll take the high road. Yeah. You stay now here on the know, dark huh? side with the brother, just talking. like he told you before. Yeah. And I'll go to the light side, WCW Nitro, and I'll find out who's friend and foe. And then I'll let you know. Do you see where I'm coming from, brother? After you find out who's friend and foe in the light, brother, again. friend and foe, me and the brother, the you head of war that? times, we'll stay on the dark that. side. We'll stay here, brother, and we'll take care of business, dude. And now that I get the stench now you're talking. Back in my blood, brother. What you gonna do when the dark side of Hulkamania destroys you? Dave, what 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 do you make of what we've just heard? I'm not I'm not sure if there's really anything you can make about that. Um for one, for one thing, Hulk Hogan's uh, his his like revenge that he wants to get 
against people that betrayed him at Halloween Havoc is starting to start to turn into sounding like he's going to literally kill them. Right. Um, Randy Savage says that he's going to return back to WCW and find out who his friends are. But, you know, if they have this promo and everyone sees that, it's going to be really hard for him to get the truth out of them. And I... (laughs) And I don't know if I would like trust that Savage is gonna right level-headed Savage, right. who we've already been told is throwing furniture backstage. So right. that's how he's getting to the bottom of things right now. <laughs> uh, you know, one thing I didn't mention when I was kind of setting the scene is uh, that's also weird about this promo is there's like literally a dozen tourists in the background, and one of whom is just staring with his mouth agape the entire time, and he's just <laughs> over Hogan's shoulder. Okay, so he's he's really in the frame, and it's hilarious. Uh, the whole thing is bizarre. They're still doing the dark side stuff. Um, There's the demandments. Yeah, so he's he's simultaneously, uh, and we'll talk about this with a couple of future promos as well, he's simultaneously talking about how he's giving in to the dark side, but the dark side just involves saying your prayers and eating your vitamins and training. Mm-hmm. So it's really no different than the light side was, except for he growls more and, and just has more of an edge. Uh but I was going to say, I, I heard on one of the episodes of Hell of a Deal, the Kevin Sullivan podcast that I've mentioned before, uh, somebody asked him uh, if this actually was planting the seeds for the heel turn that that's to come with Hogan. Oh, sure. And the way that he actually describes it more is it wasn't meant to plant the seeds so much for us, the audience, but he was trying to get he was trying to be able to show Hogan that a heel Hogan could work. Oh, so okay. he was getting Hogan to do these kind of darker things and then just buttering him up about how great it was and, oh, man, you were really good. And he would talk about when he saw Hogan wrestle as a heel against Anoki over in Japan and just like, oh, you are so over as a heel, Hulkster. You're so great. Because to hear Sullivan tell it, uh, he directly references the Chicago episode that we saw uh, where Hogan is just destroyed with booze and chants about Hogan sucks. Mm-hmm. The one where um, he first comes out in the black, actually. Oh, yeah. And uh, Sullivan says it was that show that convinced him that Hogan was done as a babyface, even if the actual turn isn't for quite some time. Right after the uh, segment, Bischoff hastily explains that Savage was in Venice Beach and then hopped a plane to get to the arena. So he's. I think quickly realizing that uh, this pre-taped interview uh, contradicts his earlier statement. So he's yeah. just he's trying to quickly give us an explanation. I still I still like the idea that because uh, uh, he said that Hogan was to take the low road in which he was in a hangout in Venice Beach and Savage was to take the high road in which he was in to figure out like who's on his side and who isn't. And he's doing that by trashing the locker room. <laughs> that's that's how Sherlock Holmes did it. <laughs> Out uh, next comes Kevin Sullivan, who is accompanied by Jimmy Hart. Sullivan will be taking on the Renegade. The Renegade is Rick Wilson, a student of Killer Kowalski's, who also uh, taught Triple H. Mm -hmm. And uh, Renegade had little wrestling experience before signing with WCW to portray this particular character, which is an obvious ripoff of the WWF's Ultimate Warrior character. Right. On uh, Woo Nation, Ric Flair's podcast, <laughs> Flair claimed that Wilson was, quote, a dick dancer, which is uh, a male stripper in, in Ric Flair's parlance. Oh. He says, he goes, he was a dick dancer, right? Like uh, Bagwell? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So they went so far with this uh, ripoff gimmick as to have Hogan promise in the lead up to having uh, Renegade's debut that he was going to be helped uh, at the Uncensored pay-per-view back in March with by the ultimate surprise. Oh. And they would then show the Renegade in silhouette and you would just see a big guy with frizzy hair with tassels on his arms. <laughs> so they were really, really trying to trick you into thinking this was the ultimate warrior, which was a legitimate possibility given that he... Uh, I can't remember specifically at this time, but he was frequently on the outs with WWF. So I don't think he was there in 95. I think he goes back there for a stint in 96. But I think at this point, yeah. he would have been free to show I up. I think this WCW. is around the era in which like the initial Ultimate Warrior is dead rumors started going around. Right, and this was partially fuel for the fire. It was part partly Warrior showing back up in WWF looking a lot smaller because he was on different steroids or no steroids or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he was wearing a t-shirt with muscles drawn on it. <laughs> uh, and partially fueled by the fact that WCW had a guy playing a Warrior ripoff who clearly was a different person. Renegade would start off pretty strong with a big push, uh, eventually winning the television title from Arn Anderson back at June's Great American Bash. But since then, he's had very little traction and as uh, longtime listeners may remember, he lost the television title to Diamond Dallas Page back at Fall Brawl. Mm -hmm. Since then, he has obviously not appeared on Nitro, as this is his debut. Um, so he's just been on the syndicated shows, and he has not really been winning a whole lot. Speaking of uh, Ric Flair's podcast and Kevin Sullivan and penises, uh I just wanted to mention the story because I didn't have another place to jam it in, uh, but... Uh. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Flair, Flair would cl claim on the same episode where Kevin Sullivan is actually the guest. This is the same one where he talks about the Renegade. Okay. He uh, says that Sullivan has more foreskin than penis. <laughs> so keep that in mind as you're watching uh, Kevin Sullivan, the giant demon baby, wrestle <laughs> his matches. Were they, were, they, were they talking about this match or... Actually, yes, they were talking about this match. Wow. Uh, um, I can't remember how it came up, but they were talking about this particular okay. match. Because I was wondering, like, talking to the Taskmaster, talking about the Renegade, I don't know if there's any other confrontation they've had. <laughs> right. Yeah, the, you don't remember their long program in the spring of 97? <laughs> Renegade starts off hot, hitting uh, Kevin Sullivan with clotheslines, including one to the outside where he gets distracted by Jimmy Hart uh, before being attacked from behind by Sullivan. Oh, and also, pretty much like seconds into this match, Renegade throws the Taskmaster over the top rope, and then he just jumps oh, over yeah. the top rope himself, yep. and there's the referee doesn't even look like he remembers that there's like DQs on that. So You know, I know I have it in my notes, and I can't remember if it's on this match or one of the later matches, but almost every single WCW match goes to the outside within the first 45 seconds. It's yeah, something it's that I wouldn't have noticed if we weren't probably writing things up for this podcast. Mm -hmm. But now that I've noticed it, it's it's a real formula. Every WCW match follows. They go to the outside almost immediately. It doesn't matter what they do either. I mean, they could be locked up like Luger and right. Savage were, and they still have to follow the ring. Or you can violate the rules and throw a guy over the top rope. <laughs> Sullivan crotches Renegade on the ring barrier and throws him into the steps. Uh, Jimmy Hart, who had actually managed Renegade for a while while Hart was still a babyface manager, keeps yelling through his megaphone that Renegade... Uh, could have been the next Hulk Hogan, but instead he was a failure because he didn't lis uh, listen to Hart. Yeah, when you if you like pay attention to the insults, they're pretty legitimate burns too. They are, and it's <laughs> actually really sad because uh, this is for a few years down the line. I think it was 1999 
Rick Wilson, after being released from his contract, would fall into depression and actually end up committing suicide. Mm-hmm. So it's really depressing to hear all these like very legitimate insults right. yelled at him by a megaphone yeah. by Jimmy Hart. Bischoff has a really weird moment uh, where he... I'm just going to try to say this in like the cadence that he does because it's that's it's really strange. Renegade has started out... Renegade had started out strong. We are coming to you live! <laughs> just he... In the middle of a sentence that was about something else, he just screams that they're live. Yeah. As if, it's, uh, as if the director in the headset was like just bellowing at him that he had to mention that they were live. All of the... <laughs> immediately. Right. Heenan uh, starts talking about the deal that he made with, quote, the Japanese people. Uh, and this actually, I don't know. It, it doesn't get cleared up it, clearly in this episode, uh, but I'm not sure that it actually does on Nitro. So I'm just going to explain a little bit of the story right now, even though it may not in WCW timeline terms actually come up for another week or two, perhaps. Because mm-hmm. it's something that doesn't actually get fully resolved on Nitro. But the deal that Bobby made where we saw him accept that envelope last week from Sonny Ono... Uh, he sold a 50% interest in the syndicated WCW Pro show. Oh. <laughs> so he would then start doing... Which he had a stake in. Well, it's la- it's later determined that he doesn't. But as of right okay. now, it, there's, it, it has to like go through the courts to get that discovered. Oh, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> so, right now, uh, so right now, Heenan and Ono are doing commentary on Pro. And about like half the matches featured New Japan talent. Okay. Um, so the idea is that Japanese wrestlers have not gotten enough of a fair shake in WCW. So they've put together this underhanded deal with Heenan so that now they own half of WCW Pro and they're just using it to showcase their own talent. And this is actually an angle that's mainly setting up an interpromotional feud that we'll see culminate at Starcade in December. Yeah. So it is all going somewhere. Back in the ring, Renegade has control and hits a handspring back elbow. Which looks really cool when a huge guy like Renegade is doing it. Mm-hmm. And it, all, it makes me kind of regret that this is sort of, and I think maybe it's because of China, this is sort of looked at now as a woman's move. You wouldn't see, you don't see guys hitting, in America anyway, uh-huh. you don't see guys hitting handspring back elbows anymore. Renegade misses a big kick in the corner and ends up in the Tree of Woe where he eats a knee to the stomach and a second rope uh, double stomp from Kevin Sullivan for the one dose three. Also, during this match, I came upon the revelation that the Taskmaster, he has, like, zero ring presence. Yeah. Um, I know there was one point when he was he he was capitalizing on the Renegade. He steps out onto the apron and then grabs the Renegade's head and throws into the turnbuckle, clearly looking like when he went out there, he didn't know what he was planning on doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does another uh, – he flips over the rope for, like a, like, a cannonball splash or something like that. Everything that he does is like awkward and not really coordinated and doesn't seem like he has like a plan in his matches. Yeah, I think he's not a very good wrestler, but I do think for the most part that he is a good wrestling mind. I think he's a good booker. Um, Certainly to hear if you listen to his interview on uh, Flair's podcast where he appears, Flair puts him over as an absolute genius, although... Flair has a tendency to put over whoever's on the show and then badmouth whoever's not. Like, in that episode, they badmouth Bischoff a whole lot. And then if you listen to the episode with Eric Bischoff, <laughs> he just sucks Bischoff's dick the whole time. So who knows? Cool. <laughs> but uh, but I do think Calvin Sullivan has a lot of good ideas as a booker. And mm-hmm. he knows wrestling up and down. He knows the history. He knows, you know, a lot about it. 
But I do think that he, yeah, I would agree. The perfect way that, to phrase it is exactly what you said. He has no ring presence. Yeah. Sullivan and Jimmy Hart come back in the ring with a towel and a glass of water. They then wipe off Renegade's uh, makeup, and Jimmy Hart yells, Now uh, you're just plain old Rick. So they sort of buried the guy and buried the gimmick. I, I seems like the Renegade gimmick is going away. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Uh, well, I do know, but I'm not going to spoil it here. I don't know when we'll next see Renegade or in what form he's going to come. Right. And again, it was just Jimmy Hart. Because a lot of this you could hear even without his megaphone because yep. he just has like a really uh, prominent voice. But again, he, he his insults are just like so searing and so personal sounding right. that you know it really it really sells the fact that he he's like it's not just betraying Hogan. It's like everyone with Hogan associated with Hogan is now a Jimmy Hart enemy. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so it it jogged my memory that the reason that the renegade that this match came up in that interview is Sullivan was giving this as a, one of the few examples where he put himself over because he said he normally put everyone over, but oh sure he, he was not going to <laughs> let the renegade go over him okay. at this point because that character had flopped so badly. Yeah. So he was expendable enough for even, even the taskmaster to get a clean win over him. <laughs> we go back to mean gene in the heel locker room. The heels again are just all shouting at the camera uh, Shark and Scott Norton start fighting each other as they remember that they're feuding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the lights go out, so I'm yeah. not sure what that's about. It's just a technical problem. Gene does a pretty good job of, of rolling with the punches, and he just starts saying that someone did it on purpose and that there's some kind of conspiracy against no, him or something. As soon as they go off, Gene Okerlund's like, who did that intentionally? <laughs> right. <laughs> and also Ric Flair. Ric Flair, he just instantly implements the lights out as part of his uh, promo that he gives. Yeah. And he gives like a really good promo in relation to like the lights out and the lights on. It's amazing <laughs> personally. Yeah. He brings in the uh, lights being off and he says kind of let there be light. And then in a couple moments later when the light does come on, he basically compares himself to God. Yeah. Um, I, I actually disagree slightly. I think it's not a great promo. I think he did a good job of rolling with it, but he's yeah. clearly he's thrown a little bit. Um, but it's not as good as like the other flair promos. Oh, no, no. I, I meant as far as a promo that's implementing something that just happened, he did a fantastic job. No, it's as a regular promo, it's just a regular promo, but rolling with like the split second change. That's true. Cause a lot of guys would have stood there in the dark and just read their original bullet points. Right. But he, yeah, you're right. He actually reacts to what's happening around him. And that, that is really good. After a commercial, we get a promo for uh, Saturday night. Yes, we do. <laughs> and uh, I want to mention this because there's two segments that stand out here. Uh, Dave, you can probably Oops. predict what the first one is. Uh, yeah. Uh, on Saturday night, the Disco Inferno is going to be debuting a hip new music music video. <laughs> yeah, that sounds amazing. <laughs> and that's going to be followed by another segment. Did you write down what this one is? Yes. <laughs> the next segment is... Hacksaw Jim Duggan goes to Ireland. And they they don't expand on it at all. No, there's no explanation of why he's there, what he's doing there, why we should want to watch that. You know, every every single Nitro we've seen so far has some sort of preview for Saturday night. But this week, I am disappointed that I don't have a copy to see both of those things. Yeah, if you or someone you know works at the WWE Network, <laughs> please get that episode of WCW Saturday Night on pronto. 
because it sounds batshit crazy. Yeah, and and just in general, Saturday Night should be on there because that was like their flagship show before uh, Monday Nitro. Right. Uh, a lot of the stuff that Hogan did when he showed up was on there. So that that I mean, they really should have a lot more of that. Chris Benoit is out to take on Eddie Guerrero. Eddie gets a pretty nice pyro, uh, and Bischoff says that Eddie is back by popular demand. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, Guerrero has really become a fixture of Nitro. Mm-hmm. Um, the cruiserweight guys are sort of always involved, but Guerrero is probably the most consistently featured performer of that group, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And I think and, – and the fans are starting to realize that, too. When they see him, they know he, he's becoming like a marquee guy. Uh, he, I feel like he plays up to the, 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 the crowd a lot and just his work in the ring just sells himself. Despite the 6,000 free fans in attendance tonight, this is a hot crowd. This is one of the best crowds we've seen. Yes. Um, and they're playing the, the right role. They're, they're booing the heels and cheering the faces. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are really into this show from start to finish. So this is a, this is a great crowd. Benoit starts off early with a big clothesline and a snap suplex. Bischoff uh, says that these guys are fighting for the attention of promoters around the world as the WCW Championship Committee is currently having meetings discussing exactly uh, the logistics of the upcoming cruiserweight tournament, how that's going to (laughs) work. I don't know why it's so hard to put this tournament together that it's just stretched over weeks that he's been dropping little hints and mentions that it's coming. Um, but, But at least he's mentioning it and he's saying... He's, he's giving us a reason for these guys to fight because typically it's just, here's a cruiserweight, here's another one, now they're going to have a really good match. This is the one of the first times where there's a story behind mm-hmm. why they're... Or, or not even a story. I mean, that's not a story, but it is motivation. Yeah. Um, there, was, there was a thought that I had, I, I, and I don't really know exactly what was going on with these guys when they were initially signed, um, but my first thought was that maybe some of these cruiserweights were signed to like short-term deals. And he didn't want to put in a long-term investment in a cruiserweight division if none of the guys resign. Yeah, that could be. Uh, Benoit gets Eddie with some snug-looking kicks to the head as Mongo uh, asks children at home not to try these moves, which they've never done any warning like that before. I don't think they told Mongo to do that. I think that just popped into his head as a thing to say. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. It's not a bad warning, but it just kind of comes out of nowhere since they've never done any sort of promo like that. It's, it's certainly not The Undertaker telling me to try to lace up his boots. <laughs> Benoit gets Eddie in a real painful-looking bow and arrow. Uh, the camera cuts then to Sonny Ono, who is eating sushi with some unidentified New Japan stars, including Jushin Liger, who is the one guy that they should definitely know what his name is because he's wrestled on Nectra before. Uh, and, and I think it's funny to see all these guys shoving sushi in, in their mouths mm-hmm. and Jushin Liger's just sitting there in a mask with an empty... He's got a plate in front of him, but it's yeah. completely empty. Yeah. Why put the plate there just to torture the poor guy? <laughs> um, I don't know. Did you get the names of these guys? No, I, I didn't bother. They're oh. just New Japan stars. Okay, because I think I, I think I figured out who they were. Oh, by all means. Um. And I didn't look this up. I just kind of remember from some of these guys. Like, yeah. I think from left to right, it was like Masahiro Chono. Okay. Uh, Masa Saito. Or I okay. don't know if yep. that's pronounced right. And then I think it's Kinsuke Sasaki. Who we will actually see in an upcoming episode of Nitro. Yeah. And then the mask guys, I'm pretty sure, is Jushin Liger. Yes. That <laughs> <laughs> what gave it away? Was it the giant <laughs> wig that's accompanying the mask? <laughs> that, and you're right. I mean, he's been on Nitro before. 
it's weird that like they pan through all the guys. They right. don't see anything about him. Why wouldn't they mention all the guys seeing as they're all going to, uh, or at least some of them are going to have upcoming WCW matches. Here's an opportunity to introduce this talent, uh, right. which you've mainly been doing just on one of your like C level syndicated shows. I mean, Starcade is supposed to be one of their big pay-per-views, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, it's, that is their equivalent to WrestleMania. Right. So it seems like if part of it is going to be an interpromotional feud, mm-hmm. well, maybe the idea is to slowly drop hints and maybe maybe I shouldn't be complaining that they're choosing to do a slow build because we are still in early November. Yeah. And Starcade's not till December. So mm-hmm. they have plenty of time to develop the story. So I mean, but I, the- I retract my, my bullshit complaint. <laughs> But I mean, the, the thing you're right, about, you're correct about is the fact that uh, Kensuke Sasaki wrestles next week. Right. Yeah, I, I mean that's that soon enough where you can at least tell us who they are, or or ask Bobby Heenan and Bobby Heenan can bring up their names, something like that. Yeah. Back in the ring, uh, Eddie finally gets momentum with a tilt a whirl side slam, an elbow to Benoit's face, and a huge plancha uh, to like he gets out to like the second or third row on that. Man, it's one, it, he's, that, he hits that almost every one of his matches, but it's always impressive. It, it, it is. It, the thing that's great about it is uh, since he's doing like television, it looks great on television. Yes. Um, especially when they go out to like the, the ring, em, the ring entrance mm-hmm. and there's usually a camera right there. It, it look, it looks great for television. He then brings Benoit back in the ru- uh, ring and hits a brain buster which is usually uh, his setup for the frog splash, and he does indeed start to go up for that. As he does so, the announcers focus uh, instead on Hogan being in Venice Beach, which Bischoff tells us is a scary place. (laughs) Apparently because street performers in white turbans sing annoying songs at you, and some some other hobo just screams gibberish. Eddie goes up for the frog splash, but instead eats a superplex, and uh, Benoit gets a two count on Eddie from that. Uh, at this point in the match, Bischoff has been just talking solidly about Hogan for quite a while, uh-huh. uh, and he decides to then quote some Bruce Springsteen lyrics that he feels apply to Hogan, and Benoit nails Eddie with one of the loudest power bombs I've ever heard, uh, which the announcers do kind of mention, but then Bobby tries to make jokes about uh, it being some other Springsteen that Bischoff was quoting. Right. And just tries to ignore it completely. And in fact, uh, I'm going gonna, gonna to drop that in so that you at home can hear how loud this powerbomb is. On the WCW, baby. You know what I'm thinking? Bruce Springsteen said it in a song. Have pity on a man that doubts what he's sure of. And you got you to gotta wonder about Hogan. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, my gosh. That's not Marty Springsteen, the He's uh, umpire. He's flat. Now, I'm talking he about Bruce Hogan. Skull. Hogan was so sure about Jimmy Hart. One, two, he got him. No. So I got to say, we're generally very positive on Heenan on this show. Uh-huh. But this is one of the few times where fucking shame on you, Bobby Heenan, because that ma- that powerbomb was insane. The sound was nuts. Bischoff has the clarity to... St- to stop and pivot and start focusing back on the match. Uh-huh. And Bobby's just tossing out shitty one-liners about the fact that apparently there's an umpire named Marty Springsteen. Who, <laughs> yeah. who gives a fuck? <laughs> that powerbomb was nuts. Talk about it. Yeah. And, you know, if you've been following along and actually been watching these nitros, you realize that essentially 
the unofficial job of Bobby Heenan is to get people focused back to the ring. Right. Um, because Eric Bischoff, for all the credit in which he wants to try to name all the moves and stuff, he has angles and he has characters he needs to sell instead. So right. he'll he'll just break out from the action at any time. So this is a case where Bobby Heenan did not kind of like reel him in and in fact kind of encourage him to go away from the match, which is unfortunate when you have Chris Benoit versus Eddie Guerrero. Absolutely. That powerbomb only gets Benoit a two count. Uh, and Bischoff does a good job after they kind of get recentered. He talks about how Eddie is one of the toughest guys he knows uh, that he's ever had the honor to meet, I believe is his actual phrase. And uh, then he also puts over how in, uh, absolutely devastating Chris Benoit is. So he does a good job a little bit down the road of, of trying to make up for it and put these guys over. Right. Eddie manages to get an inside cradle for a two count, and uh, Benoit gets up and gets back on offense. Eddie rolls him up for another two, uh, and again, Benoit gets back on offense. Benoit hits a German suplex into a bridge for a two count, uh, then another suplex and another two count. So they're, they're now starting to trade false finishes. Benoit goes for his uh, dragon suplex, but Eddie manages to grab the ropes and block it. Benoit instead picks him up and throws him gut first onto the ropes. He then tries to suplex him back into the ring, but Eddie blocks it, and they just start wailing on each other with punches. Yeah. Uh, so there's they're now their matches have always been great. This is one of the first times where they start showing some, like, more emotion behind it instead of just some great wrestling. Like like animosity between them? Right, exactly. Benoit then tries to come over the top rope and hit a crossbody, but Eddie manages to roll through it for the 1-2-3 victory. Bobby flips out because Benoit's feet were under the ropes. So it looks like uh, they are giving Eddie the victory, but they are still trying to protect Benoit a little bit. Yeah, I, I also like that because it was facing towards like the camera side. Of the, of the ring and you you saw a few of the fans stand up in the front row and point right for the referee to look at it but the referee was out of position as most WCW referees are what's interesting with Benoit and also with Malenko the cruiserweight heels mm -hmm. uh, is that they they're subtle heels in that they wrestle more aggressively yeah um, and they're the ones putting on submission holds but they are not cheaters Mm -hmm. They're they're not dastardly heels. They're not chicken shit heels. So it makes sense that some guys in the audience would would be supportive of them right. because they're just amazing wrestlers. And though they're sort of wrestling like heels, they're not doing anything outwardly that makes you want to boo. You mm -hmm. know, it's more just that you want to cheer Eddie yeah. more than anything. Mm -hmm. Bischoff. Uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, uh, at, at this point, because you're saying that Hino was flipping out and he was. Uh, he was demanding for a replay to show that his foot on, was on the rope. But Eric Bischoff insists there's no time for replay. Right, right. Yeah, because this show is tight as can be. <laughs> no, because we have to we have to go back to the locker rooms. Yeah, we have to go back to the blue locker room uh, where Tony Schiavone let Sting cut a promo. Sting just yells about how he wants Ric Flair, reminding us again, vote for Sting, vote for Ric Flair. Right. Uh, the one thing that kind of drew my eye, though, is that all all the faces are kind of being intense and looking at the camera, except for Alex Wright on the far right. I noticed that, too. <laughs> He's looking very 
bored and awkward and occasionally he'll like remember that he's a wrestler and look at the camera and kind of make a fist or point and kind of err but like he doesn't have enough good enough grasp of english to do the yelling right uh and he's probably been told don't use german because you're just going to come across as a foreign heel so he just stands there and kind of tries to emote with his face but he does not have the skill to accomplish that it's also unfortunate for uh mr jl because uh it's hard to emote when you have a mask on. Right. Next up is a commercial, including uh, a Slim Jim promo and a promo for the VHS release of Fall Brawl. Yes. So finally. If you wanna, yeah, if you want to own a piece of wrestling history, you can get Fall Brawl on VHS. Bischoff uh, tells us that it is official. The votes are in, and our main event is going to be Sting versus the Nature Boy. Sting comes out first, and uh, Bischoff reminds us all about World War III coming up in the 60-man battle royal where the winner is going to get a uh, title shot. So I think earlier I alluded to the fact that it's going to be for the belt, um, and that was a fuck-up on my part because we, the audience, don't actually know that yet. Right. <laughs> um, also, I think another thing I want to point out, when Bischoff was announcing that it was Sting versus Ric Flair, that's when Bob Heenan was drinking sake. Yes. Um, in which eventually he gives up on the little cup and starts drinking directly from the big uh, jug. <laughs> yeah. And I just thought that that was kind of funny because it kind of also alludes to this supposed rumors that Bobby Heenan drank a lot before Monday Nitro broadcast. And, yeah, and that he was not very happy uh, being there. Right. <laughs> because it, it looks like he's drinking the sake, and after he has to listen to these other guys try to – uh, guess what he's drinking is if he's drinking like like warmed up water or whatever right he immediately goes towards the rest <laughs> of the jug sting easily gets the biggest pop of the night and uh, then out comes flair and this match gets started real quick and has a ton of heat from the crowd uh the crowd goes nuts counting uh corner 10 punches from sting mm-hmm. like real loud it real great Sting dominates much of the early action um as it spills to the outside of course this right. being a WCW match uh, oh, but oh, also right before the match, like right when the match started, Flair was outside the ring, and I think he tries to protect himself with like a Hooters girl. Or something. <laughs> oh, you was... do see it's odd in in the background of a number of these nitros, you see attractive, like scantily clad women, and I've never and occasionally mascots I've seen in the background, and they're never rep- they must be during commercial breaks to like hype up the crowd. Yeah, because there uh, WW had like the Wildcat. Which oh, is like this, okay. this cat mascot. Yeah. And it is funny because like I think on Nitro you've seen him like once or twice and it's just a really random. Yeah, he's just in the background. They never mention what he's doing there or anything oh, it's like that. Oh, it's Wildcat Willie, WCW. Okay. Well, we'll throw a picture of Wildcat Willie up on uh, the yeah. Facebook page for all those interested. Yeah. Um, I just mentioned the thing with the – which it looks like a Hooters girl because like I didn't see her during the whole show and it seemed like she came out of nowhere – just for this like situation, so maybe it was an early uh, version of viral marketing. <laughs> maybe <laughs> Flair gets a thumb to the eye and a suplex onto the mat on the outside, um, and then he kind of leans against the guardrail and Sting goes for a stinger splash, but Flair uh-huh. moves. Uh, Sting is injured, and we go to a commercial. Yeah, that that um, that stinger splash of the barricade looked pretty rough too. It did absolutely. <laughs> We come back and Flair is in control and we uh, are told by Bischoff that this is because during the commercial break, uh, Sting, or excuse me, Flair kicked Sting and uh, Bischoff can't tell us where on a national broadcast. <laughs> Basically, he just got kicked in the crotch right. and we see guys hit the crotch 
all the time on Nitro. Yeah. But Bischoff acts like this one is just too scandalous. He can't even say yeah. exactly what happened. It's so scandalous and needs to be censored, yet he kind of goes on about it for like <laughs> 30 seconds. Flair goes for the figure four and uses the ropes for leverage. Sting refuses to get up, and after a fairly long period, he finally drags Flair to the middle of the ring and rolls the hold over. Flair escapes quickly, and Sting gets to his feet, and uh, I don't know what to call it when Sting stops selling. Like, when Hulk does it, it's hulking up. Oh, sure. Um, but Sting does that thing where he stops selling. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, starts... I, oh, also, um, when it comes to the figure four, it's really weird as far as, like, how different wrestlers react to it. Yeah. Some of them instantly tap out. Whereas Sting, it's like... It's only just started when you put this, put it on him. There's like, there's no question he's gonna not only not tap out, but he doesn't have to get to the ropes or anything like that. Yeah, that's well. Yeah, I suppose that's a way of showing why Sting is better than everyone. You know, he's got more grit and or whatever. Or, or he's had the figure four on him so many times that he's like grown immune. <laughs> it's like a uh, poison ivy. Do you? Well, I said that, and then I realized I don't know if you gain immunity to poison ivy. It's <laughs> Or, or it's like when you, what do you have? Is it chicken pox? You have chicken pox. Yeah, there ones? we go. There we go. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Flair starts uh, hitting Sting with chops and punches, and Sting doesn't sell him, so Flair starts to beg for mercy. Sting hits a press slam, followed by a hip toss and a drop kick, uh, but Flair gets another thumb to the eye, and soon he has Sting hurt on the outside. He goes uh, for a double axe handle from the apron, and then hits some chops chops before clawing Sting's face and then he runs to get a chair uh, and yeah. then he runs a comically long distance with a chair <laughs> to try to hit Sting uh, but Randy Anderson manages to stop him and Bischoff then teases a huge announcement coming after the match. Flair gets a series of two counts uh, with his feet on the ropes which is well in view of Randy Anderson yes. who just acts like he can't see it making him look like a complete dummy. Uh, which is why I, I agree with the the philosophy that refs should always try to call this as a shoot because they end up looking real dumb if they oh, just sure. pretend they can't see shit like that. Yep. Pin attempts from both men are followed by the usual uh, Ric Flair getting tossed from the top rope spot. Sting then has Flair in the corner and he's just punching him relentlessly. Randy Anderson actually separates them, so Stinger just picks him up and carries him across the ring and sets him <laughs> on the top turnbuckle across the ring. <laughs> Flair uses that opportunity, though, to grab some brass knuckles. He then lays Sting out with a punch, does a little strut, and hits a, an elbow. But Sting kicks out at two and stops selling again. And just like he did last time he stopped selling, he first hits a press slam, uh, and then he puts Flair on the top rope and hits a superplex and locks on the Scorpion Deathlock for the win. Uh, but interestingly, following the win, Sting refuses to let go of the hold, uh, and we will go now to the audio tape. In the base. And now the Stinger has got it! Scorpion oh, no. deadlock! He's got the legs wrapped up! He steps over, and he's got him! Somebody he's go got him! He he's steps got in! Him. All the way down the oh, scroll yeah. of the back! He gave up! He gave up! He gave up! Oh, he gave up! He Sting! What is wrong with Sting? He's gone! He's lost he's it! Not he's not letting go! That's it, referee's calling for help. Squeeze right all the poison out of that man. He is trying to hurt the nature boy, Ric Flair. I can see referees coming. Wait a minute, Luger's coming out. Lex Luger. I can see him. 
contract. He's over there talking to some of the WCW officials. No, they're, they they're trying to off. keep him out of the ring. That's right, they've cut him off at the pass. They have cut him off. Meanwhile, you got Eddie Guerrero and JL trying to talk. We've got Hammond backstage. James Sullivan now making his way. We've got security trying to keep Luger out of here, thank goodness. Uh, Sting's determined right now. He's going to finish off Ric Flair right now. Well, Sting is surrounded by people, at least that he can call his friend, trying to talk some sense into him. Where's Aaron Anderson? Well, all these people in the ring, they don't want to get Sting suspended. They want to make sure he wrestles in that 69 Excellent. Doug Dillinger coming out. This is like a battle royal. Look at all these people in the ring here right now. I tell you what, you turn on a man and show him a bad side, that's what you deserve right there. Wow. All right, now wait, now wait a minute. Luger broke free from security. He's, the crowd is reacting. I don't know what the heck is going on. He's going to put it on him again. He's got it on again. Stinger goes back and puts it on again. This is serious. Luger making his the what? What? He's, what? What's he doing? Luger, the man that put Hulk Hogan in the rack at Halloween Havoc. Luger, the man that put Randy Savage in the rack. Luger, the man who has turned his back on everyone. Wait a minute, look at this. What? Luger is in his ear. Luger has said something. What did he tell us? What did he tell us? Whoa. What did Luger say to Sting? What could he have said? The guys in the ring are shocked. I mean, he's got 10 guys in the ring begging him. Wait a minute. Sting and Lex Luger leaving together? So if that clip uh, wasn't clear, what what we just heard was Sting has Ric Flair in a... uh, the Scorpion Deathlock. Mm-hmm. He refuses to break the hold. The referees can't get him to break the hold. A few baby faces come down. They can't get him to break the hold. Bischoff claims that Lex Luger is coming down to ring, but he is not. Luger is nowhere to be seen. And Bischoff uh, must have said that because Luger... Either Bischoff fucked up or Luger fucked up. Uh, because he's nowhere to be seen. And Bischoff shortly after says, oh, I can kind of see him. And then they, him and Bobby start making excuses that security is ho- is somehow holding Luger up right. on the way to the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sting also sort of, I think he starts to think that Luger isn't coming because eventually Sting does break the hold and get out of the ring and start walking towards the back. Yeah. But then Sting sees Luger finally coming up the aisle. So he goes back in the ring, puts Flair back in the death, Scorpion Deathlock, mm-hmm. and then Luger comes to the ring uh, says something quietly to Sting, and Sting leaves with Luger. Um, and of course, Luger having just turned heel, the announcers wonder what the deal with this is. Bischoff, as as you heard there in that clip, practically cries as he yeah. says, "Sting and Luger leaving together." <laughs> he is he, he's near tears he at the is idea. Super melodramatic about it. Um, and yeah, I, this might be. Um, probably the most epic of like Luger moments that you could possibly get in which like a whole segment is held up and have, they basically redid it because Luger didn't yeah, show up yeah. or he didn't, he didn't. I, my assumption is that he didn't know his cue to 
Yes, yeah, someone fucked up, and given all parties involved, yes. uh, I'm going to guess Luger. Uh, Meltzer and the Wrestling Observer also pegs it on Luger. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he has inside information or not, or if he's just making an educated guess. But, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it really seems like Luger fucked this segment up. Right. After a commercial, we come back in the ring. Mean Gene is in there with Jimmy Hart, the Giant, and Kevin Sullivan. And uh, we will now hear a clip of the following promo with some pretty major developments that have a big effect on World War III. As a matter of fact, Eric, things are totally upside down here at Center Ring in front of this capacity crowd this week. This is not right, gentlemen. Kevin Sullivan, the Taskmaster, this man is not the WCW World Heavyweight Champion. Jimmy Hart, he is not the champion. You know me, Gene? When Hulk Hogan, show you how stupid he is, man, when he was out in Hollywood, California, making all those B-grade movies that wound up in a video store before they wound up on the silver screen, I was down here taking care of business in the WCW because I had the power of attorney to do it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. You had the power of attorney? You better believe it. When Hulk Hogan was running all over the world with his brand new best friend, Randy Macho Man Savage, doing all that charity work, baby, for all those little kids, I was down here in the WCW taking care of business because I had the power of attorney to do it. And when Hulk Hogan wanted to step into the ring against the Giant at Halloween Havoc. I'm the one that signed the contract for that match because, you see, I had the power of attorney to do it. But you see, Mr. Hulk Hogan, there's only one thing, baby, that you didn't realize. When I signed that contract, there was a little bit of stipulation into it, Mean Gene. And as you can read right there, it said, that if Hulk Hogan got disqualified during that match, he would lose the WCW Heavyweight Championship belt. And ladies and gentlemen, and I use that word very, very loosely, you're looking at the brand new WCW Heavyweight Champion of the World. Because you see, this is legal and this is binding. Miss Oakland, I signed that contract myself with the Giant. It wasn't our fault that Hulk Hogan got disqualified. Wait a minute, gentlemen, I'm gonna interrupt. I happen to have a WCW official who I have worked with in the legal department, Nick Lambros. Come on up. He is an attorney, practicing attorney. He has been in contact with the championship committee. Nick, I'm gonna have to prevail upon you. What's the story with this document? I can see he signed it, but is it gonna hold up? Well, unfortunately, Gene, Jimmy Hart is partially correct. He did have Hulk Hogan's power of attorney to sign this contract. But he is not the world champion. I have been on the phone. I have been on the phone with WCW Commissioner Nick Bockwinkle. He has conferred with the WCW commissioners, and they have issued this statement. Notwithstanding that Hulk Hogan's contract to wrestle the giant contained a clause that provided he would lose the championship belt in the event of a disqualification. That's right there. Because of the dubious nature of the disqualification, the WCW Championship Committee has determined that the WCW World Heavyweight title will be held up and will now be awarded to the winner of the three ring 
60-man battle royal at World War III in Norfolk, Virginia. I thank you very much. Give me, he is a lawyer. Off comes that belt. Nick Lambros, I want you to take this belt. It is going to be held up. You heard the official decision of the championship committee, Jimmy Hart. Hey, he ain't got any credibility. He is not a lawyer. I know he, I know a lawyer if I see him. Why don't you take this paper to the men's room? It won't do you any more good than that. Let's get this title. No, that title comes off. Mr. Lambros, giant. My belt. I won this belt. This is mine. I'm not giving up to you or anybody. Not ever. So right after the Giant gets done saying there that uh, he's not going to relinquish the belt for anyone, Sullivan manages to convince him to hand the belt over and basically says that in a battle royal, the Giant is, there's no way that he can't win. Right. So they're okay handing the belt over because Sullivan's so supremely confident uh, that the Giant's going to win. Mm -hmm. So it does end up with them relinquishing the belt. So what we basically learn is the Giant was sort of the champion because he won the belt via DQ, which normally you can't, but Hart had tricked Hogan. Yep. Um, so he was champion, but now the championship committee is choosing instead to vacate the title mm-hmm. and put it um, up for bids in the 60-man battle royal. Yeah, and also this was another, yet another uh, giant interview in which uh, the Taskmaster was... in directing how he uses his hands yeah oh yeah yep yeah because he they were he was doing like the size of his hands so was jimmy hart they were both playing with his hands yeah <laughs> just it's just a really kind of quirky sort of thing that happens in all of his interviews and i think coupled with the fact that when you see him backstage he's usually really gesturing that it, it seems like a lot of his focus is dependent on knowing what his hands are doing <laughs> uh, an interesting little bit about that segment the uh lawyer Nick Lambros mm-hmm. in that segment. He is an actual lawyer in the Turner legal department. He is uh, not an actor uh, in case you couldn't wait, tell that. What? <laughs> well, but I mean, it's common with wrestling. Um, you know, the guy's not an actor, but he is like an intern or a stagehand or something. Sure. No, they actually, to play a lawyer, they were like, let's just get fucking Nick in here to yeah. <laughs> just play a lawyer. Yeah. I, I, I remember when, when he came out, I, I was thinking, you know, once I hear him talk, then I'll know if he's actually like, uh, uh, like a trained actor or not. Right. And then you get his his Kermit the Frog voice, yeah. <laughs> in which it sounds like he's just he has a piece of paper and he's reading off the piece of paper. After that uh, little promo bit, the crowd starts chanting for Hulk Hogan. But sorry, folks, the show's over. So uh, <laughs> they hype World War Three and just kind of tap dance for a little bit so it seems like despite not having time for that replay that uh bobby wanted earlier of the benoit uh, guerrero finish we do have some extra time because once again they're just kind of rambling at the end of the show until they finally can hit uh the point where they're actually off the air yeah next week we're promised we will see macho man versus meng eddie guerrero versus johnny bad for the television title and sting versus dean malenko in a match that i'm definitely looking forward to so this show, overall, I it's kind of weird because at the time I didn't think it was great. But as we talk about it, I realized that maybe part of the problem is that there was just a lot shoved in there. There were some major angles involving mm-hmm. the future of the heavyweight championship, um, involving Sting potentially turning heel. Right. Uh, Hogan and Venice Beach with uh, apparently the Macho Man now is his right-hand man. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, it's not necessarily a very fun episode to watch, but a lot happens and it definitely moves the pieces around on the chessboard a little bit. Um, so it's it's not necessarily bad, but definitely definitely uh, average to slightly below average episode. What do you what do you think? Uh, well, I think this was it was interesting because it seemed like it was the first time they really tried to do backstage segments. Mm-hmm. And obviously they have like a long ways to go before they're really any good at that. But um, it's it was just a different dynamic, which made it interesting. Um, I wasn't I mean, obviously they were pushing this certain match for the fans of 04. But I really wasn't upset about that because it was probably the match you would want to see anyway. Yeah, um, I, I just kind of it's like this gives you that gross feeling where they were doing that just to get like the, the purchase the call purchases and make a little bit of money on the side. Yeah. I, and for me, we've seen as a WCW fan, we've seen sting versus flair a thousand times. I mean, we've already seen that match on nitro, uh-huh. you know? Um, I don't know that we need to see it again. And I, I love watching Eddie and uh, Benoit, but we've seen that match on nitro. Yeah. Uh, so it really, the show is starting to feel from where we've started, it's starting to feel a little formulaic. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to start mixing and matching a little bit more. And the interactive uh, idea would have been a way to do that. But instead, they, they made it a foregone conclusion. Uh, so that was kind of unfortunate, I thought. Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, because I, when I was saying earlier about the Nasty Boys trying to get uh, them to vote for them versus the Blue Bloods. Right. Um, Nitro has not really featured any, not a lot of straight tag team versus tag team matches. Right. I mean, besides Harlem Heat versus the American Males. Right. Um. So right away when we when Nitro's first few weeks they they debuted a whole lot of new people mm-hmm. like every other match was a new person but now you're kind of seeing that once they have these new guys out there that they they they're kind of going back to what they thought worked the first time right and uh, you know you kind of made me think of of something else when we talk about the locker room you know there's a decent amount of guys in there who have not had matches on Nitro right we have not seen the Nasty Boys we have not seen the Blue Bloods. We haven't seen Dave Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's definitely another one or two uh, between both locker rooms that we just straight up have not seen wrestle on Nitro at all. Right. Who, uh, all that being said, who is your MVP of this particular episode? Um, It didn't really seem like a whole lot of people stuck out. Like there wasn't one particular person that stuck out, but um, this week I went with Eddie Guerrero because uh, he had a really good match with Chris Benoit um, got the win and was revealed that he's going to be getting his first championship title match next week, which if you, if you think about it, he kind of earned by beating Benoit. I don't know if that's, sure. that, that was their way of thinking, but yeah, yeah I, I would say overall there was, this was kind of, this was a pretty good week for him. I feel like anyone that was involved in the show did okay for their like own personal stock. But, uh, this week I'm giving it to Eddie Guerrero. I'm going to give mine to the Taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan, who this week won a match. He uh, gave a little promo where he had supreme confidence in his uh, protege, the Giant, and his ability to win a a battle royal with 59 other competitors. Right. Uh, But mostly it is for having the ability to roll with the bullshit backstage politics of Hulk Hogan, his ability to deal with the last-minute decision by Hogan, um... Even though Hogan had been the one who wanted to work with the Giant and mm. claimed to want to put the Giant over clean, right. Hogan was the one who in the last minute decided he wouldn't do that. So Sullivan had to find a way to try to get the belt 
off Hogan because that was part of the deal. Because I think Hogan is either right now or soon he's off to film some movies or something. So he, they had to take the belt off him. They had to try to make the giant look strong. Right. And they had to build interest for their next pay-per-view because, as we've mentioned in the past, pay-per-view revenues are a little bit down. Mm-hmm. So to take an already sort of out there concept of a 60-man battle royal and make it for the title, right? Uh, that's a smart move in my book. I love the 92 Royal Rumble where the belt is on the line. Yep. Which I believe is the only time that's the case. It's the only time, yes. Um, and it just, I really like, I like that concept of a belt being on a line of Battle Royal because there's so many, and especially with 60 guys, mm-hmm. uh, there's just so many different ways that they could go with that. I mean, like the Disco Inferno could win. Right. Because <laughs> you know he's going to be in that God, Battle Royal. I wish. Oh, I wish. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I'm giving my MVP to Kevin Sullivan. Uh, match of the night, I think that one, um, you know, I felt like I wanted to give it, obviously, to Eddie and Chris Benoit, but I'm going to give it to Sting and Flair. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a match we've seen a thousand times, but the crowd was so goddamn hot for it. Yeah. Um, and the ending with Sting refusing to release the hold and teasing a little heel turn, that's something we have not seen mm-hmm. in all of the variations of Sting and Flair. We've never really seen even a hint at Sting being a heel. Yep. Uh, so that was different. Um, and, and like I said, although it was an awesome match with Eddie and, and Benoit, I, we've already seen that, and it was not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I felt like just changing it up. What did you go with for match of the night? Well, I I did go with uh, Benoit versus Guerrero. Although I do agree that the Sting versus Flair match was really good. Um, I kind of went with it for the for what you just said. I mean, the fact that they just had a really good match, they had a lot to live up to, and I felt that they did that in that they brought out a whole lot of different uh, um, move sets with a, with. Um, multiple suplexes and stuff like that and and an interesting finish that only further um, wants you to have like a rubber match because they both have a win now. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went with Chris Mawa and Eddie Guerrero. In our Raw recap, the British Bulldog defeated Marty Jannetty, Henry Godwin beat a jobber, Kama beat a jobber, and Jerry Lawler and Isaac Yankum defeated Bret Hart and Hakushi by disqualification. That might be the worst sounding Raw that we've heard so far. (laughs) Uh, in the ratings, Nitro had a 2.3, and Raw was down to a 2.1, which is uh, Raw's lowest ratings in over a year. But wow. this is also, even though Nitro won, uh, that's still the lowest total wrestling audience since the beginning of the Monday Night War hmm. in the 10 weeks we've been doing this. That's that's the lowest total wrestling audience. Huh. WWE is also in a little bit of trouble, as it was this week that they told their talent that they would be dropping their B house shows, the, the like lower markets. Sure. Um, so that's going to mean less dates and thus less money for a lot of the lower mid-card type guys. So the locker room is uh, pretty unhappy about this, although one only one wrestler actually followed through with their threats of quitting. Any guesses on who that might have been? Who quit in 95? Was it Dean Douglas? It was Waylon Mercy. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you weren't going to get that, but I thought it would be a, a fun exercise. <laughs> So anyway, that is another week in the books. We will see you next week where the big boys play 20 years of Nitro. Kevin Sullivan has more foreskin than he has penis.